welcome to Financial Footsteps, Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders, the podcast that takes you deep into the minds of the masters behind the numbers. Join host Chad Dean as he connects with financial leaders as they share their journeys so that we can gain valuable insight from their failures and triumphs. Get ready for candid conversations, behind the scenes anecdotes, and practical wisdom that will transform the way you think about your career in finance. Put down the balance sheet and listen in. And welcome to Financial Footsteps, where we explore the background and careers of financial leaders for the benefit of those who want to follow in their footsteps. My name is Chad Dean, your host. I've been a recruiter for 27 years, and I am the owner and CEO of Integrated Management Resources, a Phoenix-based executive recruiting firm established 33 long years ago. Integrate is the sponsor of this podcast today, and I'm very excited about our guest today, Lynn Behrman. Lynn has had a long career in finance and is full of wisdom that I know will be incredible and a great benefit to all of our listeners. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Absolutely. And uh, we had a little bit of rain today, so this is, I think, the first podcast that that I've done where we had rain. And so... (laughs) It's really exciting, right? Getting a little bit of rain Absolutely. in the valley. Yes, always. <laughs> Everybody else is like, no, no more rain. And we're, <laughs> we, just, we like go out in it because we're very strange here. So, so let's start. We'll just kind of, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and family, that kind of thing. Sure, sure. So I've um, lived in Arizona most of my life. Grew up in Flagstaff, which is a small college town a couple hours north of here played a lot of sports, went to college there, have been down here ever since I graduated. I have a 29-year-old son named Trey that lives in San Diego, and my parents are still here, and then I've got siblings elsewhere. My boyfriend, Andrew, and I love to do you know, road cycling. Um, we spend a lot of time still in Flagstaff, like to watch sports, do a lot of hiking, outdoorsy stuff. Um, when we have free time. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on up in Flagstaff, right? It's a very outdoorsy town. Yes, very. It's a fun fact about Flagstaff is they get a ton of snow up there, just the way it's positioned. And a lot of people don't know how high it is up there, the the elevation. It's like 8,000 feet. It is. Yeah, we we go skiing quite a bit up there. And last year was kind of the epic, you know, season that they've had for probably a couple decades. Yeah. I um I spent a lot of time up there. Actually, had to get a bunch of stitches from from an out skiing accident. Oh no, up there that's, that's never good. Yeah, I had to go down to the and sit in the the ER room there. In oh boy. So well, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. So you are um, currently what what are you doing right now? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I was recently with True Blue Car Wash. Mm-hmm which was a roll-up strategy for car washes. I joined the company when Goldman Sachs made an investment. At that time, they had about 20 washes and $30 million in revenue. And fast forward five years, we got up to 71 washes and $98 million in revenue. We went out to sell the business. It was you know, owned by private equity. So we went out to sell the business in early 2022, it took a whole year 
to sell the company for a whole variety of reasons, but successfully sold the company to Circle K and closed the deal in February. And prior to that, I was with PCA Skin, which is another company headquartered here in Scottsdale, sold that company to Colgate Palmolive. So back to back, I felt like I needed a little time off. So I wrapped things up, took the summer off. We did a few trips, spent some time in San Diego, because kind of relaxed. And now I'm kind of back thinking about what my next steps are. Good. And yeah. your title was CFO at both yes, places. Correct. Yes. I've been a CFO for about 17 years, all in that mid-market space, high growth mid-market. Also just so happens that, you know, four of the last five CFO roles were were private equity backed. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them was uh, janitorial. Who knew that yes. private equities was so excited in janitorial? Oh, it's, you know, somebody's <laughs> got to do it. <laughs> I, a quick funny story. I was on an airplane and somebody was asking me what I do. And I said, well, I'm a recruiter. And they work for the University of Phoenix. And they go, oh, you're a recruiter. By the way, do you happen to recruit plumbers? And I'm like... <laughs> What, you would pay somebody to find you a plumber? They go, it is so hard to find plumbers. And I'm like thinking in my mind, you know, I bet. It, it amazes me what people, you know, that that there's a recruiter for everything, literally. I'm sure. Yeah. Including plumbers. So let's go back. So NAU, um, mm-hmm. you grew up in Flag? I did. Wow. I haven't really, I don't know if I've ever really met anybody. And yeah. I'm a native of, of here. I grew up and born and raised in Arizona. I haven't really met anybody who grew up up there. So I did. Your degree was in finance and accounting. It was, well, it was in finance. I actually went back after mid-career, went back and got my accounting degree so I could sit oh. for the CPA exam. Okay. But initially I went to, to school with, for my, for a finance degree. Mm-hmm. Where did that interest, what was the genesis of that? I took a class, an accounting class in high school. I think they they offered some special elective to go take an accounting class. I was pretty good at math. I took the accounting class and I loved it. And then as I was thinking about college, I thought, well, I don't really want to be an accountant, but I like accounting. So, you know, what's related to that that could be broader in nature? And so I picked finance, not really knowing what I was going to do with that when I got out. But that's what I did. Sounded like fun. It yeah. interests you. Yeah, it did a yeah. lot. And the and the curriculum, you know, I think is more broad based. If I if I had to kind of characterize both, I was learning, you know, corporate finance and international banking and case studies as opposed to intermediate accounting one, two, and three which is kind of why I chose finance. Gotcha. Did the finance and the accounting um, people hang out together? <laughs> no, there was a clear separation. Big delineation. Yeah, we okay. didn't sit with the accountants at the lunch table. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of, what did, What actually, I want to know if you know what they thought of you. Oh, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter, no, okay. Doesn't matter. I, just, I just think that's funny because, you know, it's, especially these days, so many people are choosing finance over accounting. I know, I know. But I needed both because I wouldn't have been able to move into a CFO role without a CPA. And to get my CPA, I needed accounting. Right, right. So when you were in school, did you, um, 
do internships to figure out like what you were going to do when you graduated? I, I did actually, I did a couple. One was actually in high school. I did an internship for Godfather's Pizza. I remember that. That's still around. You know, there's one in Prescott Valley okay. and that's the only one I've seen here. But it was more administrative, some clerical, some bookkeeping. And then I did an internship at Khalil Bottling in Flagstaff, which honestly was just a lot of it was just taking orders from the guys like that on the trucks that would go visit a store and then they'd call in their orders. So I got really good at 10 key. That's my mm-hmm. biggest takeaway from that. Um, but, you know, it was great exposure gave me something to do while I was, you know, trying to finish my degree as well. Gotcha. So now you're graduating and did the job find you? Did, how did, how did you get your first job? At, um, well, I don't know what that was. Cause you have just on here, you know, a couple different positions. So. Yeah. I mean, I graduated during a recession, mm. so it was not easy. And I probably would have taken any job any accounting job that came up or I graduated and I didn't know what I was going to do with a finance degree. And really there wasn't a lot to do in this environment. If you think back in Phoenix, you know, that time ago. So I took a job with a construction company and I did accounts payable. And that's where I started just a staff accountant And then I joined TRW out in Mesa, and that's really where I got a ton of exposure to a whole variety of positions. Gotcha. So did you, um, so when did you actually, how long, how many years after graduation did you get into what you would consider a true finance role? So I left TRW to take a manager, a planning and analysis role. And that really, to me, was the big pivot in my career because I had done really every accounting job. I had, I kind of maxed out on what else I was going to do. And when I say that, you know, everything from accounts receivable, general accounting manager, cost accounting, like it spanned the whole gamut. And I'd like to say I was really strategic about the next step, but I wanted to do something broader. And so I took an FP&A role, and I'll tell you that really pivoted my career because I was now exposed to people other than accountants. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're starting out, your your world is a little bit of the accounting department, and then if you can get into an a role into a role where now you're working with marketing and operations and HR and all the, you start to kind of pull everything together in a much better way. Yeah. But that accounting core that you got those first couple jobs, that was priceless. You have to get that. I mean, and I tell when people this today, the root is accounting. It all starts there because you can't do everything else unless you're a really solid technical accountant. And if you're a leader, you have to be able to run and lead a very solid and technically capable finance department. Mm-hmm. So you went into this FP&A role. Was that model building and forecasting? And <laughs> yeah, typical... it was. It was forecasting, budgeting, working with the VP of business development on new channels. It was like square inch analysis because 
We had some print. It was just everything, which was great because you got to see so many different things. Mm -hmm. I have an MBA and an undergrad biology, which has nothing to do with anything really in business, (laughs) and then an MBA. And in my MBA, I learned how to model. And I learned uh-huh. Excel. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself these days, how in the world did they build any models before Excel? Before you could just change one cell and then it, you know, it, it changes everything else. I just, I don't know what they did back in the day, but it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Well, when you have to build it from scratch, you definitely figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's for sure. So knowing what you know now, when you were getting your degree, would, would you have done a double major of finance and accounting? I, I I thought about that as I was preparing to come on the podcast, and that's probably what I would have done if I would have known where I was going to go. I thought, well, maybe I just would have not done the finance and I would have done the accounting. But really, the finance degree allowed me to think about what could be, you know, what I could do, the possibilities. And I'm not sure that an, just solely an accounting degree would have given me that. So, but I probably could have skipped some pain if I would have just tunkered down in college and gotten a double major because I didn't sit for the exam until mid-career or early mid-career. My son was young, so I had to, it was hard to Mm -hmm. study and get that done while I was doing everything else. Okay. So let me ask you this because I don't see every CFO with a CPA. Tell me why you chose to go back and get your CPA and why, why that was so important to you. I, I just felt like the technical aspect and the credential really meant something. That's fair. Like my son just got his MBA. It's then that's amazing. But for being an accountant, I think being able to say, you know, I technically was able to get past this exam and keep, and I'm licensed to do this to me said something at the time. Gotcha. And, and having that credential, I mean, that's fair, yeah, right? Because nobody pe- can take it away. Exactly. <laughs> ever. Exactly. As long as you remain in good standing and don't break the law. Yeah. So take me through a couple of the positions along the way that you felt were really impactful on your development? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly the, the FP&A manager role, because uh, it also, I also had a team of analysts. So trying to do your job and learn the business as well as manage a team is difficult, but that was very, that role is very impactful also, because I got to spend time, as I mentioned before, with other people and other the leadership team, and you get to hear, when you do that, you hear about what's going on in the company and what's going right, what's going wrong, and you really get a lot of insight into how leaders are thinking about the next steps in the company's journey. Probably the next critical role was my first CFO position at a PE-backed company because I had no idea what I was getting into, no idea, was not prepared necessarily for what was about to happen and what was expected of me, but I did really like the expectation and the pace and all that comes with that. 
but the hustle and the grind is real. How did you get that job without any experience? I I got a call. <laughs> I got a call from a recruiter um, out of Chicago that worked with a PE firm that was based there. And um, they had just bought a retail janitorial company. And it was a pool position. So in other words, I wasn't quite qualified for it probably, but instead of bringing a candidate on that had been doing that for 10 years, they felt like someone would be better that, you know, was kind of hungry and wanted to take the next step and ambitious. And so there were a lot of things I had no idea how to do or what it was about, but I worked really, really hard at figuring those things out. And what about mentorship there? Did you, how was the leadership? Uh, It's interesting because private equity sponsors can fall all across the range of involvement. In this particular situation, the CEO wasn't as used to the finance side. And so I became more of that conduit. So I spent a lot of time with the PE firm. And a lot of things like banking, lending, M&A, they really leaned in on. And so I was able to get exposure to that, but not be fully responsible. Whereas other things like building the team and the corporate office and the analytics and the dashboards and the reporting, all that all fell on me and I kind of had to figure it out. So, and you make a a lot of mistakes doing that initially. Sure. Anything special about your first board meeting? Do you remember that? Oh gosh, I do actually. My first board meeting was about six weeks after I started we were completely unprepared. The P firm was not extremely happy with that, but <laughs> just, I was like, well, I, I don't even know the business. And so I learned that, okay, I, I get it. I, this is going to be a journey and I need to really figure out how to get my A game on all the time. And not that i beat myself up about that particular instance, but it was, it's kind of set the tone for the rest of the, the journey there about expectations and, and there's really no time that can be wasted. Mm-hmm. Ever. And what happened with that particular situation? Get resold or? So we went out to try to sell and we were unsuccessful. So out of the four P backed roles I've been in, I, we've sold two we tried to sell one and it was unsuccessful. And the other one I left before we tried to sell. There are things that can just wreak havoc on the best laid plans. And a lot of those are external. What's happening in the marketplace, who your what your customers are doing at that time. We were cleaning retail grocery stores seven days a week and retailers started feeling the, the penny pinch and they figured out, I don't have to clean the grocery stores. So I can do it three days a week and two days a week. And that really wreaks havoc on your business. And we went out to sell right when that was happening. Yeah, so yeah, that makes sense. hard. What is it like taking a job that you know your your job is to work yourself out of your job? What You know what I mean? Like yeah. your job is to eliminate yourself yeah. eventually. What's that like? I I never really thought about it that way. 
I, because I always looked at it more, well, we could sell to another private equity firm and then I get to do this all over again, (laughs) or we could sell to a strategic and maybe I'll be the new CFO. So I never worried about that. It was just never a concern. And probably because you're so heads down, you, until you sell a company, you really don't know what it, you don't think it's attainable necessarily because it's really hard to do. So I wasn't sitting back at my first gig going, oh, well, when we sell, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take six months off and do this. And I just didn't think of it that way. I was just more, what's next? What's next? What's next? That's fascinating. And you're just, yeah, you're grinding, you're grinding. And then all of a sudden, like, it's over. Yeah, it, it, that is <laughs> exactly how it is. And with True Blue, it took us so long. I was really selling the company and doing my job at the same time for a year. And I, I will tell you, I probably, you know, I had 30 roadshow fireside chats and probably 30 update calls. And when that ends, you're just tired, but, you know, happy, but it feels like some big fireworks should go off and there should be like a parade. And there was none of that. that. (laughs) Right. I'm going to come back to that because it's, it's quite interesting. That's, I, I like that. So you said in your first FP&A role, you said you had a team. Is that your first management experience? I would say significant. Yeah. At, at a role before, you know, I had one or two people, but that role was the first one where my, the product, you know, was kind of unique and I was responsible for delivering that product along with my team. And how did that go for you? How did you feel as a manager? A lot of it is just learning the hard way because there's not a lot of people that help you figure out how to be a a manager of people. And in that role, I almost felt like a peer to some degree managing peers uh, because there wasn't a huge gap between, I I would say, myself and, and the rest of the team. It was more about how do we get all this done? And not so much about, it's different in today's environment. It's a little more about personalities and figuring out what people want and what makes them happy. Back at that time, it's just how do we get all this work done without kind of blowing people up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how that's changed. So it's changed a ton. <laughs> That's one thing I had to learn because <laughs> my father's a colonel in the Air Force. And so that's the way I was raised. <laughs> it's changed a lot. <laughs> so um, do you think that you are a natural leader or did you I, have to grow into it? I had to grow into it. I definitely think I'm a leader by example. I would say people that have worked for me will say I'm one of the hardest people working people. They know. I have no doubt listening to your story so far. Just, you know, and I, and I know what people do. I think that's really important that I can go out and I know what that person is doing in accounts payable and that person is doing in billing. They probably can't say that about every CFO because 
you're, you have other things to do, but, but I, but I do think that I spend a lot of time making sure I can answer questions that I'm always available and that I know what everybody's doing. And so, and they feel that as well. Did you just trial and error become a better leader or did you actively read books? Did you find somebody to mentor you? What did you do? A lot of it is watching other people do the right things and the wrong things. Like you, you can look at like when you report to CEO and say, I like what they do in this regard. And I don't like what they do in that regard. And so I'm going to try to do that more, not that. <laughs> but a lot of it is, is it's a balance between personal relationships and making a connection, but still running the company. That's really hard because I, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for delivering a product and helping run the company. But at the same time, we, we're, we're all people. So sometimes those things don't mix and they don't match. And I'm a believer in like when they don't, just let's both go find something that do. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I I actually kind of like the tapping into people's feelings more now that I've learned how to do it because you can really delve into what drives somebody and match it up with the job. And and then they they are more passionate about it as opposed to just coming to work yeah. and doing a job and going home. It becomes part of their why. And that to me is, is when that clicks, that's so exciting. Yeah. And, but a lot of times it doesn't, a lot of people are just looking to come in and do their work and go home. But you, it's good that you know who those people are. And the only way to do that, I, I would just walk around the floor and you just learn a lot about where people stand. I, and I remember one of the employees at True Blue in my team, when I announced to the team that we were going to do another acquisition, it was, I don't know, six sites. This person said, we're going to buy more sites. And I thought, I need to, I need to have, we need to collectively have a conversation. And I just learned that that person didn't want to be in that environment. That's, well, that's probably not this one. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I get it. It's okay to not want to be sure. part of that. No, I've, I've, I've had to come to grips with that because I lead by example as well. And I figured that everybody should just be following and right. not <laughs> many people do. So, which is okay. It's fine. So um, tell me about, let's go back to that interview where you had no experience working uh, for a PE sponsored company. What did you do to prepare for that interview? And, and why do you think you were successful in landing that job? I tried to draw on all of the things that led up to that point and not just um, in a linear sort of, well, I was, I was a senior accountant, then I was a general accountant, and then I was a control. Not really in that sense, but I always try to think of all the things that I accomplished along the way. Um, even if you have to write it down, make a list, because that's really what matters. When I go into an interview, I too think it's a conversation. And even at that time, so I'm just trying to tell, communicate to somebody all the things that I've accomplished, not necessarily the roles that I've had. And I think that comes across with a certain amount of substance 
that you can point to specific examples. Even today, I, I have to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you did and who you worked with. And I would encourage everybody to just make that log those instances because they're so important in the future to be able to, because you forget or you don't know how to answer the question. But it, when you start thinking about all those things, racking up those years, I think you do a lot. And that's what really kind of propels you and sells you to the next person. I just came up with an idea. So what I want to do is I want to take certain cutouts of different interviews that I've done. I do a 30 to 35 minute interview prep executive level. And it's funny how people say different things that I say in my prep. Okay. And one of them is I say, go through your resume and write on your resume for every job that you've had, something that you accomplished that you're proud of, and what challenges did you have to overcome to achieve that? And write it all down on your interview or on your on your resume before you go into the interview, review yeah. it, load it up into your short-term memory. So thank you for that. Yeah. Now you're gonna be a part of my my cutout <laughs> interview prep. I'm just not gonna give the prep anymore. I just be like, go and watch these cutouts yeah. over here. So very, very key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. I appreciate that. So it just verifies everything that you know that I tell people. And then to hear it from you um, as a leader is, is fantastic. So you just nailed it on the head, but it's in terms of other than going through and, and looking at their achievements, what else would you give to someone interviewing for their first leadership position? What kind of advice would you give them? I think it's important for people to sit down and figure out what's important to them in the role. And that does two things. One it answers questions about whether you want to work for that person or that company. But it also demonstrates that you've got some litmus test for the next step in your career. And so I have interviewed so many accounting finance professionals that have no questions for me. And I just saw that such a head scratcher. I don't understand it. it it's, very, it's very concerning. So I tell everybody, you're, you have a right. This is not a one-way street. It is a two-way. And you should be interviewing the employer with just as much rigor as the other way around. It doesn't matter what, what level you are or what position you're trying to get to. But, but if you're thinking about a leadership role, that's even more important because assuming you're going to spend your livelihood is going to be wrapped up in that role for quite a while. Well, congratulations. You just made another part of my interview <laughs> prep. Uh, the, the, uh, that's absolutely the truth. And I'm shocked when I interview people and I say, so it, I tend to talk a lot, I guess, as a recruiter, right? You, you talk a lot and I'll, talk about the job and what they're going to be doing. And I'm like, so what kind of questions do you have? And they just say, oh, you answered them all for me. And I'm just sitting there going, how could I possibly have answered all your questions? Yeah. So the only thing that I would add to that is, is sprinkle in with those questions that you have prepared to, to, you know, rigorously interview them as well. Just make sure that you sprinkle in that the, you did research on their business model yeah. and yeah. their product and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I always... Today, I would say the number one most important thing for me is what does the business do? 
And what's the value proposition? And do I see myself getting really excited and just getting behind it? And with a consumer view in mind, and if you look at it like that, that there you probably have hundreds of questions that you could ask, um, more than there's probably time to ask. But if you take that view, like, would I buy that product? Would I go through that wash? Um, and how do you do this? And how do you, you know, that I think will answer a lot of the questions that you inherently have and help you decide whether to take that, that role or not. Well, I got to give you kudos for being able to get behind janitorial services. So (laughs) when I got, when I got the job at the skincare company, I was like, finally, finally. And then I went, then I went to start washing cars. So that's the way it goes. Hey, car washes around here are important. There's a lot of dust, a lot lot of dust around here. So when you, you, you hit on it again, you're kind of like in front of me on my questions a lot of time, but when you're, are there any specific questions that you ask of people that you're interviewing to gain insight on, on what makes them tick? Well, I definitely start with the technical, you know, I, I always want to make sure someone has the technical abilities for, for the jobs that we're hiring um, for, but I also, I try to spend some time on just personal questions because I find you're removing kind of the robotic answering um, of the general questions that most people ask. I also try to take people out like to lunch, getting people out of that interview environment. You can learn a lot about them. And then I, I try to get as many people to interview them as possible. I, it just the whole team, you know, because you get a lot of different perspectives than just mine and invariably someone will see something that they really, really like or don't really like. And then you know what to mitigate for or follow up on. Do you believe in uh, personality or these disc tests and that kind of stuff? I think there's some value in that at the leadership team level. So I do, I've, ta- I've taken several of them. I do think it's interesting to understand how different personality types work together. You know, I don't think you can rely on them 100%, but I I do think there is something to be said for using them as a gauge in, in how things, you know, will go in the future potentially. I need, I need a lot of practice at when it says I'm this type and then I'm dealing with this type of person and it tells me how to deal with them. I need a lot of practice yeah. at that because I kind of, I have my one way. <laughs> I, I no, I've, I've seen, I've actually taken, had to go through a couple seminars on that. And I, I don't know how I would do that. That's really difficult to adjust your style to fit someone else where they fall in the boxes is really hard. I, I just find it so much easier to be my authentic self. And Agreed. if they don't like it, then Maybe it's not meant to be. I agree, 100%. <laughs> I mean, if I have to fake who I am or change who I am in order to work with somebody, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, it's fascinating science. The The whole personality um, test is fascinating to me. Quick, funny story. I found somebody that did 
that worked for the FBI and they did handwriting analysis for for the FBI. Okay. And they would they would look at this handwriting and say, this is the type of person that this individual is. And it'd be for ransom notes and stuff okay. like that, right? So he went and he's now retired, but he's here in Phoenix and he did personality tests. And so I did this and he goes, it doesn't matter what you write, just write a paragraph. And I wrote, I don't know, maybe, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance or something. I just sure. wrote it down. And, but it has to be in cursive. Okay. Okay. Which uh. not everybody's taught these days. My kids were not taught cursive, but you had to write in cursive. And um, we got the personality whole thing back and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like me. That sounds like me. And I get down to this part that says, uh, you are almost on the far end of impatience that there is. And I'm looking at that all that's totally wrong. And so I went home and I was talking to my wife that evening and I said, Hey, they nailed me on this and this, and this is fascinating. Like how, but, but it did get one thing wrong. It, it says that I'm highly impatient. My wife looks at me, she goes, you're one of the most impatient people I know. <laughs> I go, what are you talking about? And she not, names off all these examples. And I go, that's impatience. She goes, yes. That's awesome. <laughs> so wow. I, um, I, you know, I, I was mistaking forgiveness for patience and they're two different things. And so now, now that I, I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, I, Very I, interesting. I need more patience, yeah. but, but that pulled it out. And think, thankfully I did that because I learned something about myself. Yeah. So, um, what would you go back and, and tell your younger self? Well, I mean, definitely, Hey, keep working really hard because it's going to pay off. Because you don't, at the time, you know, you're not looking 10, 15 years out. You're just trying to get through the next six months. So maybe, you know, take a few more risks. I was, I'm pretty risk adverse person. You know, you tend to, risk adverse people maybe tend to stay at roles longer than they maybe should or company companies that they maybe should move on, you know, so maybe take some more risks. You know, I stayed in Phoenix my whole career. That was difficult. Uh, It wasn't, there wasn't always as many opportunities. So, you know, I could have told my younger self something about that, but you know, that's probably about it. Okay. Yeah. So I want to know why besides hard work, what other component of you makes you successful? Why do people choose you for the next leadership position? Why do you feel that that you've, what is it about you besides the hard work? Yeah. One, I have a, probably a high pursuit of excellence kind of mantra. I'm sure people, some people don't like that, that I've worked with. There's nothing wrong with expecting those around you in a corporate setting to always want to be excellent, deliver the the best product and the best service. Like that should be a given, assumed. It's not, but it should be. So I really behave like that. I carry myself in that manner. I probably raise my hand more than other people. Like I think that served me well throughout my career. You're sitting in a meeting, a staff meeting, and you're talking about something that needs to get done to solve a problem. 
and oh, how are we going to get this done? Everybody kind of like, you know, they do the look down. I, I just raised my hand all the time because I felt like I was getting more knowledge, something, an additional item to put under my tent. And over time, in my next roles, when I start talking about what I've done, we're like, wow, they're like, that's a lot. Like, and that's kind of where this CFO plus plus concept comes from. Not accounting is just the basis. It's just the jumping off point. But today you have to have exposure in HR and risk management and payroll and insurance and technology. You're only going to get that by saying yes to doing things, not by sitting and, and just focusing on the one thing that you've been hired to do. Now, raising your hand, is that not risky? You say you're risk averse. Is that not risky, raising <laughs> well, your hand if you don't know how to do something? Well, I, I can do anything. <laughs> Got it. It's confidence then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do just about anything if I work hard at it. You know, I can figure it out. Now, I mean, I, I couldn't join like NASA and raise my hand, but in a business setting, right. I'm pretty sure that I can either ask somebody or talk to somebody about how to do call somebody or just figure it out on my own. But I'm pretty confident in that. If you don't believe you can do it, you never will do it. You right. won't accomplish it. So You're you right. have to believe and yeah. you have to have confidence. You're right. And it, there And there were definitely times where I I probably didn't do a perfect job, but somebody had to do it. And I think it's a great indication of leadership to want to just solve a problem as opposed to talking about a problem. Stop talking about it and just do it. I think that's a great representation of being a leader is doing that. And that, and I had, I have employees. I had employees that would do that. I thought it was awesome. They were really, really busy, but somehow they would fit in something extra. And I thought that was great. Are you good at delegating? Or were you good at delegating in the beginning? Yes. Like just a, as a function of necessity. But my style is delegate, but check until you're, you trust the outcome and then you don't have to check anymore. Because at the end of the day, it's your your brand and and you know your face on the product. So I'm not going to put out a bad product, and if I need to check everything, then I'm going to do it until I feel like I don't need to do that anymore. Gotcha. How do you get people to buy into a high pursuit of excellence in the finance and accounting mm -hmm. area? Sure. Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> I think it can be personal, like you have to motivate them. Some people you have to motivate through, some people just want to do that, an, an excellent job. So it's not hard to motivate them or get them on board because that's how they're wired and that's how they're driven. Other people know that you have to do it, but they maybe don't, but it's a requirement of the job. I think you have to approach everyone different, but it's certainly setting the example, wanting to achieve that, even if you maybe fall short sometimes. I always tell my team, 
we can control what we put out as our work product and it is going to be amazing. I can't control what the packaging looks like on for our new product. That's I can give input, but I can't control that. But I we are going to control this output and it's going to be amazing. And I I think people inherently want to do that. I don't there's I don't think there's a ton of people who are like I I don't care if I put it <laughs> I <laughs> just crappy product or not. So I, I think you got to try to tap into everyone's fundamental desire to put out a good product. I think it's there. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that you're able to sniff that out in people too. And you kind of <laughs> tend to hire those types of people. It's important for sure. Yep. So what advice would you give to someone that's just starting out early on in their career and, and wants to achieve your title? Well, I think first, don't focus so much about the money. You know, don't focus on the path that you're going to take to get as much experience as you can in the shortest, shortest amount of time. Don't focus on the titles and, and the money because honestly, the chief doesn't really you're doing a lot. You're, you're going to always do a lot of the work up throughout the channel. There's no point where you just kind of sit back and fold your arms and say, okay, now I'm here. So I say just <clears throat> be industry agnostic. I would absolutely tell everyone that because I think people have a vision of, well, I want to work in retail or I want to work in fashion. If you have aspirations, to be a CFO at the level that I'm at, you really want to get as much possible exposure as you can to as many different things. So get out of the mindset of, of thinking that you have one path. I would say that goes with the size of company, take a risk that there's no, there's preconceived notions about, well, you know, I want to work for a big company or I want to work for a smaller company. My opinion on that is you won't, sitting in a big, big company where there's 15 senior accountants is probably not going to get you to a CFO of a mid-market company because there's just, there's not enough opportunity to puncture that balloon. But with in Phoenix is a great place, right, for mid-market high growth companies. It's a hotbed. And you get on that, you get in those those scenarios and you get in a growing company. And if you're assertive and you raise your hand and you're aggressive in getting all those things under the tent, I think it's very achievable. Uh, glad you brought that up about Phoenix. I was doing some research and there are thousands of middle market companies. So I was doing a search of employee size 30 to 250 and I was weeding out government. I was weeding out schools and some other things. Um, I even took out healthcare. Okay. And there were 1,019 companies wow. there alone, right? That's a lot of, not now, not every one of them has a CFO. No, Some of them yep. might be VP of finance for sure, and, and, or, and, but acting as yeah. CFO. 
which is great experience as well, because that can elevate you to your next position as a CFO. Absolutely. So did you um, tell me a little bit about that as far as working? What do you think is unique to private equity? So if somebody's thinking about, I want to work for a, um, a sponsored company, what do you think is, you You touched on the speed mm-hmm. and the amount, there's just so much going on at any given time. Is there anything else about it that, what, like, what is it that attracts you to, you to it? Because you told me that you're kind of interested in looking back in that space. You're not, you're not disregarding others, but that would, you definitely have yeah. a very strong skill set yep. for that. Yeah. What is it about? What, what attracts you to it? Yeah. Well, everybody has the same goal in mind. One, because a private equity firm, I know you know this, but private equity firm has funds and they're investing their investors' money and with the anticipation of selling the company and getting a return, right? So everybody on the leadership team knows that that's the goal. There's no conflicting interests. There's no you know, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, I do. No, everybody knows that that's what you're trying to do. So that just, that takes away a lot of the kind of political debate about where the company is going. You know, M&A is very common in PE sponsored companies, which is fascinating and exciting. A whole nother skill set that just, that, that, you know, takes up your time. And, and I think, really exposes you to more on the PE side. Honestly, like you're getting rewarded for your sweat equity. Like that's probably, that's one of the biggest things. I didn't really go into it for that reason, but that is a huge benefit because a CFO is going to get a reward at the end for all that sweat equity that you just put into the company. Mm -hmm. So you just feel ownership. You feel like you really own a part of the company. This is your your company. And, you know, there's board oversight. So you have a fair amount of checks and balances. That's I think that's really important. Whereas maybe in a family-owned company, you just, you got the CEO and that person probably could do anything they wanted. This is a more structured environment where there are, everybody knows the rules and you're you're going to accomplish those or you're not. And if you don't, that that's not a good answer. If you don't, that that's the dark side. And that's where it can not go well for, for executives. And steel sharpens steel. And those are some of the smartest people yeah. that you're going to run into. Oh, yeah. So smart. I, But I've been in businesses that I've run and they haven't. So I used to be really intimidated more so. But now I bring something to the table that they've never done before. It's true. They they would, you know, probably maybe debate that with me, but but it's that's it's right. Like I've had to help run businesses. And so we need them and they need us. And it needs a really great partnership and oversight and communication can deliver some great results. I've never heard anybody say that before, but that's, that's really important. Yeah. You're going up against these smart people, but they haven't done your job. Right. They haven't. Yeah. I, sometimes I get out of board meetings. I'm like, 
do they know they haven't done this before? <laughs> <laughs> I, I We've all named names. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but I've learned a ton, you know, from banking and lending and negotiating credit agreements and how you, you know, negotiate sale leasebacks and buy real estate and sell real estate. Like, it's just, I've learned so much from the private equity sponsors that I've worked for. And I think the other thing, and I'll, it's interesting snippet, but I was talking to the managing director at one of the sponsors that I work for. She was looking for a controller and she said, one of the most important things to them based on current trends is that their leadership team have worked in, in office in front of each other. She said that and I kind of, hmm, it didn't really apply to me because, you know, I've, I've kind of got past that whole phenomenon didn't start until I had already been a CFO. But she said, we will not consider leadership team members for our, for our companies unless they have been in the office working with other leadership team members. So that's, I think that's something for younger professionals to keep in mind. And I, I think it's real because you can only learn how to do so much sitting at monitors, you know, at your house. There's a whole nother level of interaction when you're in, in front of somebody Yes. versus even over a screen. Yeah. And so I, I kind of say, look, the, the lowest form of communication is a text message. How often is text message misinterpreted constantly? Yeah. And, or then you're my wife and she just blabs into the thing. I'm sorry, <laughs> not blabs. She talks into it and then it comes out in this gibberish and she just hits send and I'm writing back a question mark. So that's like the lowest form. And then email is a little more professional, yeah. right? And 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 you, you have more kind of words to get your, your point across. Then there's the phone, then there's the video in person. Yeah. It's, it's, it's impossible. And I'm with you from a leadership. Now I could be proved proven wrong in the future. Maybe they come up with something, but in order to really, if you want to excel your career, you need to be in with other leaders, dealing with them interpersonally on a daily basis. I, not, maybe not every day. No, okay. I'm, I'm yeah. buying into the hybrid thing. I, I think that's cool, Yeah, but it's got to be fairly consistent. I agree. Not once a quarter. I don't, no. that's not enough. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, for sure. So just one last thing that that you are a hard worker. I have a feeling you're fairly competitive too. Are you competitive? Pretty competitive. <laughs> Is that now you played sports when you were younger? I did, yeah. What sport? So I played softball, basketball, a little volleyball. Okay. Did you play in college? I didn't. You didn't. Okay. I didn't re remember if we had, had talked about that. Uh, yeah, sports uh, definitely brings out competitiveness and I could sense that in you because uh, I was going to ask, have you always been that way? Have you always been the one to raise your hand or did you have to learn how to do that? Like, Yeah. It, yeah. I think sports probably teaches you a lot of that, you know, just how to win and it's a good, yeah, it's, it's a great way to learn how to work on a team and, you know, learn how to want to win. Mm -hmm. So for sure, I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. So for people that are 
looking at their children and you know it's it's just great for kids and in, in my opinion they, obviously you don't think they're going to be a professional but right. just the the interaction that they get with other children and and the coaching and all that kind of stuff yeah. I think it's just it's, I agree it's fantastic yeah well if you can believe it our time is up oh wow okay we have covered a lot <laughs> we have. here and i am so excited for uh, the feedback that we're going to get on this because you gave some incredible insights. Well, thank you. And I really do appreciate you sharing and, and opening up yourself to that because you're going to help a lot of people. Oh, I hope so. I It was a pleasure. And I think people entering a profession need as much guidance and advice as they can get. So hopefully I gave a couple snippets that will help. You did. You did. Great. So the cat's out of the bag. You're kind of looking for your next opportunity. And so let's say students want to reach out to you about maybe something a little bit deeper on what we talked about, um, or maybe somebody would like to reach out to you about potentially talking to you about coming to work for their company. How do you suggest that they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I um, have, I'm on LinkedIn. They can ping me on LinkedIn. I'm fine with you guys sharing my email address as well. If people want to just shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer any questions or help any any way I can. Okay. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I am a recruiter, so I live on LinkedIn every day. So they can also reach me on LinkedIn, or you can just Google Chad Dean Integrated Management, and I'm fairly certain I come up number one. So Lynn, thank you. And uh, enjoy the holidays. We're they're right on top of us here. They are. And enjoy the rain. And thank you again very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Financial Footsteps: Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders. We encourage you to apply the knowledge and wisdom shared in these conversations to your own career. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Your feedback is important to us as we continue to bring you more candid conversations and thought-provoking insights from successful financial leaders.